mercy and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're continuing our walk through the Gospel of Luke, and we've hit uh, the Lord's Supper. And so what I wanted to do today is teach on the Lord's Supper. And I pray that for, for some of you here, that it's a good reminder of what the Lord's Supper is about. And I pray it'll be a, even a deepening of your understanding of the Lord's Supper. And I pray for some of you here, it's, it's kind of a, a new information about what, what we do here and, then, and why it's important. Jesus gives the Lord's Supper on an important night. One, it's the night of his betrayal, which is pretty important. But two, it's also they're celebrating Passover. And Passover was an event uh, when they celebrated what God had done, when he redeemed the people of Israel when they were slaves in Egypt. And God had sent nine plagues uh, to the Egyptians, and specifically against Pharaoh, saying, let my people go, right? And Pharaoh says, no. No one else in the history of the world received such a great demonstration of God's power and authority and still refused to acknowledge it. No one else. Pharaoh does. And so God sends one last plague. And it's the death of the firstborn sons throughout all of Egypt. And God said to the Israelites, to be spared from this, you have to do something. You need to take a lamb, a perfectly white, unblemished lamb, and you've got to kill it. You slit its throat, and you collect the blood. And you take the blood of that perfect, innocent lamb, and you paint it on your doorposts, your door frames. You paint it over. And when the angel of death comes, the angel of death will pass over your homes and strike the homes of the Egyptians. And that's what happened. And the Israelites were free to go. And they went up to their own land. And that was around 13 to 1500 B.C. Well, 12 to 1400 B.C. In that time frame. And the people of Israel celebrated that event for centuries. And Jesus is celebrating this event. And he says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. A new promise. It's like the old one. A redemption is taking place, but this redemption is going to last for eternity. And to remind you of this redemption, I want you to do something. It took bread. Unleavened bread. That's what they would have had to celebrate the Passover feast. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And he took a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is centered on, it's based on the Passover. And it's a reminder of God's first deliverance and points to God's new deliverance. And ever since then, the church has been celebrating the Lord's Supper. In fact, it's one of the marks of the church. We read this in Acts chapter 2. There it is, okay. Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, 
the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So from this point on, church looks like this. Whenever church gathers, they did this. They would hear the apostles' teaching. They would read a a letter from an apostle. They would read what we call the Old Testament. They didn't call it that back then, but we call it that right now. They would be together. Fellowship. It's such a bland word, while we fellowship, right? Right? But it's so important. The gathering of God's people in one place to be together. And to the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. And to pray. So wherever those things are taking place, you have church. And whenever those things are not taking place, you don't have church. Now, some churches have the Lord's Supper every single Sunday. Some others have every other Sunday, but there's different variations of doing it. But where church is taking place, you have those elements. They're there. Paul adds one more in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle. You heard that passage, right? If you got married, you heard that passage, right? If you, when you got married, actually, when you got married, you didn't hear that passage because you weren't paying attention to a word the pastor said when you got married. Trust me, I know this. But more than likely, the passage was spoken sometime during some wedding you've gone to. And oddly enough, it's not about marriage. It applies to marriage, but Paul doesn't write it for marriage. He writes it for church. And so I would add, wherever you have all those things in Acts chapter 2 taking place, plus love. The giving and receiving of love. There you have church. And so what happens during the Lord's Supper? What is God doing in and through this simple bread and simple wine? And the first is a unity of faith. Sometimes the Lord's Supper is called Holy Communion. And there's a union that takes place amongst God's people. In the early Christian church, uh, they didn't have large buildings to worship in. Uh, not smart. One, they didn't have a whole lot of money. And two, they were being persecuted. So to build a large church was kind of put a target on yourself. And so what they would do is they would meet in people's homes. And it was so important in the early Christian church to be united that they would often use the same piece of bread. So we hear this from the Didache. And the Didache was an early, 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 late 1st, early 2nd century writing said this, as this piece of bread was scattered over the hills and then was brought together and made one, so let your church be brought together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom, for yours is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ forever. So they take, they would cook one, where they would cook, yeah, they would cook this big piece of bread and they would give some to this house church and they, they would use it, they would take the remains of it and take it to the other house church and they would use it. They would take what's ever left over from that, and they would take it to the next house church, and so on and so forth. Because they were one church. They were one church. And two, they had one purpose. They were the church until Christ came. 
Jesus says in Luke chapter 22, verse 17. He says, I'm not going to drink of this fruit of the vine until that day. It says it this way in Luke. I don't have the reading up here with me, but you have it. Oh, it's easier right here. Verse 17. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. The Lord's Supper is a reminder to all of us. One day, we're going to have a real meal. Because let's face it, it's not much of a meal. A little piece of unleavened bread, a little glass of a bit of wine. It's good. It's a good reminder. Not great. One day, it's going to be great. What's the best meal you ever had? Just close your eyes. Can you picture the best meal you've ever had? Was it steak? Was it cooked just right, super tender, super tasty? Paired perfectly with the absolute delicious glass of wine? Was it mashed potatoes that your grandma used to make? Maybe you had some cheesecake afterwards, homemade. Some strawberries and cream. You're all getting hungry right now, aren't you? One of the images of heaven is of an incredible feast. Isaiah says, the best of meats and the finest of wines. And in the early Christian church, when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, it was a full meal. They had a full meal together. As the church got larger, they got, became more impractical. They couldn't do that. And so they just retained the elements of the meal bread and the wine. But in the beginning, it was a full meal. And some churches still do it like that. When I was in California, we had an Indonesian congregation that would meet on Sunday nights. And so every Monday morning, we'd come to church, and the whole church smelled like Indonesian food all the time. We'd have to air it out. We're like, wow, that is some spicy food. <laughs> Always a full meal. Every Sunday. And the Lord's Supper as a reminder it's a foretaste. It's an appetizer. That one day, we're going to have a great meal. And it's going to be a great meal in the presence of the resurrected Lord. The meal commemorates the death of Jesus, which only makes sense if he rose. Nobody gathers together and celebrates the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. We don't do that. We don't have a holiday on the assassination, assassination date of Abraham Lincoln. We have a holiday on his birthday, right? But do we remember the day he died? Because he's still dead. But Jesus, we remember that day. We remember that day every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. We say, on that day, Jesus Christ died for me and rose for me 
And every time I walk up to take this simple bread and this simple wine, his body and blood given for me, I'm remembering that he shed his blood for me, that he gave up his life for me. And every time I walk up, I'm proclaiming to the world, Jesus Christ died and rose for me. Every time you walk up to take this bread, this wine, you're saying, Jesus Christ died and rose for me. That's a proclamation. And you're announcing it. And it's very, very cool. And not only are you announcing that, you're announcing that Jesus Christ forgives you. We hear this in Matthew 26. Then Jesus took a cup, and when he gave given thanks, he gave to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day, and I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You're receiving God's forgiveness. Now, do you have to receive the Lord's Supper to be forgiven? Of course not. Of course not. Jesus Christ died and rose for you and and forgives you. But I think Jesus gives us this extra way of receiving his forgiveness simply because God is a really good teacher. They've done studies past decades and they found out, as you probably know already, that people learn in different ways. Some of you are uh, auditory learners. You hear something and you kind of pick it up. Some of you are visual learners. You kind of have to see it. You can read it, or you can see it done, and you can pick something up that's new and different for you. Some of you are tactile learners. You have to touch it, and experience it, and eat it, and taste it, and feel it. My friends, Jesus Christ died and rose for you. And if you don't believe me, can experience it in his suffering. Uh, Richard Iyer is a chaplain, hospital chaplain. And he's at this very, very large hospital which had a, a psychiatric unit. And he was asked to visit a patient there. And he met with this lady and she said, I, I feel guilty all the time. I feel guilty all the time and I want to kill myself. And I don't know why. And Chaplain Ayers said, well, no, let's do this. Let's feed your forgiven self. So every day, I'm going to come, and I'm going to share the Lord's Supper with you. And every day, I'm going to remind you that Jesus Christ died and rose for you, and you are forgiven, and you are his, and you are loved. And so he did that every day. First as uh, inpatient, and then as outpatient. And some months later, she left and never came back. Because then she knew that she was forgiven. She was loved. That God cares for her. My friends, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died and rose for you. Taste and see that the Lord Amen. Amen. May the peace.
peace of Christ which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus for life everlasting.